0: I'm going to check this thing right quick first. All right. Where'd he go? Just a just a point of emphasis. I like that the first song, I stand to praise you. I would like to see, and I've not done this, but I would like to see sometime that perhaps our emphasis is not On the first phrase, but on the second. I stand to praise you, but I fall to my knees. Perhaps the the greater issue in our society today, and with believers, is not our willingness to stand up for Jesus, but to acknowledge Him and honor Him for who He actually is. Now, I realize... (coughs) myself included, that if we knelt this morning, it would take a while for most of us to get up. So you might need to deal with those logistics if you ever want to do that sometime, but just a a thought. When I was a high school senior in DeLeon, Texas, don't hold that against me, Sheila's from there too, I was voted most likely to succeed, which was great, me and Kathy Gray, she was a year younger than me, but I really thought I should have been voted most athletic. I was all-district in football. I played three years of varsity basketball. I was a two-year starter on the basketball team that finished second in both years, oddly enough, too early. We could not beat the Blackwell brothers, for you old-timers. We just could not beat them. And, of course, back then, they only sent one to playoffs, so we didn't get to go. The guy who was voted most athletic was just, you know, a good football player, but such is high school peer politics. Anyway, I was chosen most likely to succeed. I think because, you know, I was a nice guy and we got to give him something. So that's what I got. I wonder sometimes, and I, and I went to a football game at Dillion. Uh, Last this past Friday, first time I've been in Bearcat Stadium in a long, long time. I wonder sometimes if the people I went to high school with would consider me a success. I I think I am. I've been happily married to the same woman for almost 43 years. I have three daughters and a son-in-law who are good people who serve the Lord and the church they call family every day. And then there are those three little people who call me Pop. I think my life has been a success so far. There are a few things in my past that I would do differently, but I think, if I could, but I think we all are there Most people are greatly influenced by what other people think about them, or what they think other people think about them, or what they want others to think about them. The question for us is, what do you think about you? Do you think you're good enough? Are you good enough to be loved and accepted as you are by others? good enough to be loved and accepted by God? Do you wonder if others, except for your media family perhaps, maybe not even then, do you wonder if others would miss you if you were suddenly gone? Do you feel you've messed up too many times? Do you wonder why life hasn't been better, doesn't get better for you? Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the negative thoughts that haunt your mind? Are you desperate to change those thoughts? Here's a really important principle that is just common sense and also very biblical. Changing your mind can change your life. When you look at your life, you realize that there are some things you need to change. There are things you want to change. But it's always easy for us to come up with reasons why we cannot. Let's say you're always late. Just say. Late for work, late for church, late for appointments. And there's always a reason. My alarm didn't go off. I had car trouble. The kids wouldn't get up. You failed to finish a project at work on time. My computer crashed. I had unexpected interruptions. Sometimes the reason we give for what our lives look like are legitimate. I really did have, this hypothetically, I really did have a bad childhood. I suffered a traumatic experience years ago. There's always a reason. And oftentimes there's truth in the reason. But we go back to this. What do you think about you? I'm not smart. I'm better off alone. I'm unlovable. I'm a failure. I'm a bad parent. And if you have those kind of thoughts of any kind, you can point to reasons why you believe that. We're good at coming up with reasons. But the key is what we do with those reasons. Now, your your reason can become a justification. And and here's, here's where the real rubber hits the road, okay? Your reason can become a justification. I'm late because my car wouldn't start. I didn't finish a project on time because I had a computer problem. I struggle with relationships because my dad never told me he loved me. You acknowledge the reason which may be legitimate, but nothing ever changes. The reason remains the same, and you remain the same. Look at it from this perspective. Instead of it being a justification, what if you saw the reason as an explanation? I did come from a dysfunctional family. My dad did cheat on my mom. My mom was an alcoholic. My family never openly expressed love. Rather than using the reason to justify your behavior, use it as a reason to explain why loving other people is hard for you, why you struggle with addiction, why you feel inadequate, why you feel unwanted. The reasons may be real and may explain your struggles, but they don't have to continue to define who you are or dictate what you struggle with in life. Change how you think about the reasons why you are as you are. For the rest of my life, I can tell you my sad story of how bad my life has been. Or I can see my life, the story of my life is information that explains a lot about me. And I can, help God, I can ask God to help me make sense of that information and use it to begin the process of changing my mind so that I can change my life. Because if you don't change your mind, if you don't change how you think about it, your life's not going to change. I don't want my life to be defined any longer by my sad story. I read about a teacher, a school teacher, who was late for class 111 times. I do not understand how this person still had a job. Late for class 111 times. His reason? I was eating breakfast. Well, get up 15 minutes early. When the reason is seen as a justification for my life, then the justification just becomes an excuse. If my alarm had gone off, if my dad had set a better example, if my first wife had been the person I thought she was, if breakfast, if breakfast wasn't the most important meal of the day, if I had been voted most athletic rather than most likely to succeed, An excuse, see, let you off the hook. If you had known my mom, if you, had, if you knew what I had experienced, if you knew how I was treated by my high school peers who voted me most likely to succeed rather than most athletic, I'm not bitter about that. Really, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, it's been over 40 years, and who holds on to a grudge for 40 years? I mean, really. If you knew about me, then you know why I am the way I am. Here's my sad story that will always define my life. If you allow these, these excuses to continue to shape your life, you will become what you think you are. I am unlovable. I am beyond redemption. I will never be any different. I will always be alone. Your excuses transform you and define who you are. Turn your reason into an explanation. And when you do that, then you can make Progress. I did have a, ba- a bad childhood. I'm not as focused on being as good a parent as I need to be. I do struggle to understand my mate, hypothetically speaking. I- I'm not a well organized person, etc., etc. You just, you know what yours are. When negative thoughts explain your life rather than justify your life, that's the first step to making changes that lead to a different you. If the reasons become excuses, then you're going to experience stagnation, that hopeless feeling that things will never be different with you. But if your reasons become explanations, then you can experience transformation because changing your mind can change your life. You can make excuses, or you can make progress. But you can't do both. And the choice is yours. So, I want to spend a few minutes, just a few minutes, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because, I mean, after all, we are in church, so we need to do that. A follower of Jesus, we know as the Apostle Paul, wrote this letter to a group group, of Christ's followers made up mostly of non-Jewish believers who seemed to allow their past to control their present. And if you read through this ancient letter, you know these brothers and sisters had lots of problems. Now, one of the issues that Paul deals with in chapter 6 is Christians taking each other Court to settle personal disputes. Now, the first thing Paul does is he chastises them for having the disputes in the first place, and then for taking those disputes before secular judges rather than being humble and caring more about one another than themselves and settling the matter in house. And then Paul writes this. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's, of course, a rhetorical question. Yes, they know that. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I can hear believers in Corinth saying, yeah, but my mother was a temple prostitute. You think you had it bad? So you have idolatry and sexual deviancy shaping a child's life. My dad and his buddies were drunk every weekend. My dad was an inscrupulous businessman who did whatever was necessary to succeed. And as they told their sad life stories to justify their lives, we would empathize with them, wouldn't we? Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot to deal with, a lot to overcome, and it is a lot. All the words that Paul uses... All those words to describe people are nouns. They are not verbs. And it's been a while since some of us were in an English class, so let me give me a little help here, which means that they did not just occasionally participate in those activities. This deviant behavior described, defined. Their lives. They didn't just occasionally drink too much. They were drunks. They went from one bed person's bed to another person's bed. They didn't just occasionally go to idle church. They gave themselves to idolatry. And they mistreated each other for their own financial gain. And so Paul describes all these things. And then he says, and that is what some of you were. This is what defined your lives. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Of our God. Now, contextually, Paul is focused on them taking each other before a secular judge to settle their personal disputes. And that, like all these sins he listed, belonged to their life before they knew Jesus. And he's saying to them, That's not who you are anymore. You used to sleep around. You used to be drunk all the time. You used to live self-focused lives with no regard for others. But that's not who you are anymore. And he says three things that are really important. He says, first of all, can you see that that yellow part up there? He says, first of all, you were washed. Well, I think we probably all know what that means. When we're baptized... Stay with me here. It's not just for the forgiveness and the removal of our past sins. Okay? Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, When we are baptized, we are buried with Christ and take part in His death. And just as Christ was raised from death by the wonderful power of God, so now we can live a new life. It's not just forgiveness, but it is a new, different person from who you were in the past. Baptism is a reboot. It's a new start so that we can be what God wants us to be. So, you were washed. You were sanctified, which is kin to the word holy. It means set apart. God has set apart believers from our old lives to be redefined, to be recast as a new person in Jesus. And you were justified. That is, you were made right with God through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. If you're a Christian, you and God, like this, simpatico, friends, father, son, father, daughter, This newness has been done, Paul says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, by His authority, by His desire, by His provision through the Holy Spirit, who guides us, who empowers us to cast aside the old life and to fully embrace the new life in Jesus. So, we're no longer defined by the sexual immorality that funds our world, right? Right? We no longer devote our lives to worshiping the gods of this world, to greed, to drunkenness, to mistreating others for personal gain. Right? Right. In Jesus, we are defined by the fruit, the lifestyle that the Spirit produces in our lives. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness, self-control. Now, there are some people who don't want to embrace the new life offered to us in Jesus. And I know virtually none of you other than, you know, I've been here before, but I don't know anything about you. So, my sister, if anybody wants to visit sometime, just give me a call. Some people don't want to embrace the, the new life. And some of them are in this room. They're in every church building this morning We're right now. They, may, they, they come in and they sit among us, but when they leave, they intend to be pretty much like everyone else they know. And I hope that doesn't describe you. Because I really think that most of us <clears throat> want to be different. And the one thing, you know, those three words are three of the most important words in the English language put together. The one thing, more than any other thing that stands between us and being a fruitful representation of the new life in Jesus is, are you ready? Believing that we can be. The Bible says, you must be made new in your hearts and in your thinking. And then there's this. Be that new person. You got it? You see it? Be that new person who was made to be like Christ. Truly good and pleasing to Him. Until you believe you can be, you won't. Be. We're so ready to believe what the world says about us. To believe the lies the devil tells us about who we are and about our failures and about how inadequate we are. Believe what God says about you. Be who God says you are. Stop believing the lies that society tells you about what defines success. Stop believing Satan's lies that keep you tethered to the past. Don't hold on to who you were. Don't hold on to what you have done. Don't hold on to what's been done to you. Don't let all those things, continue to define who you are, be who you are in Jesus. Now, the reality is that we all do have a sad story, don't we? I'm pretty sure mine's probably sadder than yours, but you know, I've had to deal with my own. We all have a sad story in our past that impacts our present. And unfortunately, it's often a story that we keep to ourselves. Because we're pretty sure that nobody has a story like ours. And even if it's not your fault, you're pretty sure that if you tell your sad story to somebody else, they're going to go, Ugh! and they're never going to look at you the same, and et cetera, et cetera. So let me reemphasize this we all have a sad story in our past that impacts our present and we may talk about it with God from time to time i'm working on i start writing stuff and then i have to set it aside for a little while cuz when i start writing i can't stop Sometimes, so it just gets pages long. If you, if you, you've heard some of my sermons in the past, so you know, it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. <clears throat> I'm working on a writing right now, because I have this thing called Facebook faith. You know what I'm talking about? All these things you see on Facebook that that sounds so good. Most of them are not. Most of them have a little bit of truth, and most of them give us a warm fuzzies. But most of them. <laughs> Are not right, and some of them are actually harmful. One of them is this: if God is all you have, you have all you need, and that just sounds—that just sounds right, doesn't it? And it gives us the warm fuzzies. But guess what? It's not true. And guess who said that? God said that. God made the man and said, "You know." And turned to God. God turned to God and said, "It's not good for this man to be alone." Well, what do you mean alone? God walked with him in the garden. What do you mean? It's not the same. It's not the same. God said, "Humans need somebody besides me." Chill out a while. So, if you've not talked to somebody other than God about your sad story, you need to find somebody that you can talk to. Some flesh and blood person. And if you belong to this church family, I hope you have the kind of relationship with people here that that person is in this room. That different perspective helps us. See, this is why I don't this is why I don't deter from my notes, because this is what happens. That that different perspective about your story is helpful. If you're looking to start over, if you need a different direction, if you need a new life, boy, have I got good news for you. You can have that in Jesus. I don't understand all that. Every, what I just said, I don't really understand all that. I just believe that it's true. I think I've experienced it. And I think probably most all of us have. We can start over. We can reboot. We can, we can be. We can be. You can be who God says you can be in His Son, Jesus. You can be. If you've not been baptized into Christ, it starts there. And let's not argue about that. If you want me to just go to the book and show you, I'll do it. You can argue with that. Let's not argue about it. The book is as clear as it can be. You need to be baptized in water to have your sins removed. It expresses your complete faith in Jesus Christ that He will do what He said He will do. So let's not argue about that. Let's just... If you haven't done it, just do it and embrace all that that means. It means more than forgiveness. It means you have a presence within you that helps you become the person that God says you can be. If you've not done that, then I I urge you today to do it. If you need to share something today with somebody here that I want to urge you. We have an invitation, right? Do we have an invitation? All right. I'm going to ask my brother-in-law, Alan, to come here and stand at the front. If you need to talk to him or you know the other people here, but if you need to do something public today, you can do it. Let's stand and sing the song together.